0: Uh, good morning everyone, uh, my name is John Chambers and I have the pleasure of reading from Genesis through to Revelation this morning, so I uh, get yourselves mighty comfy. Alright, so the, I've got four Bible readings for you all, so uh, here we go. Genesis one 27 to 27-31 So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. Uh, the second Bible reading this morning is Mark twelve twenty four to 27. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, uh, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Uh, The third reading for this morning is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 to 33. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Uh, The final Bible reading is Revelation 19, verses 6 to 10, which is known as the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Here ends the readings.
1: Thanks, John. For those who don't know me, my name's Glenn Decker, one of the pastors here. And uh, I get to preach again this morning. I have to take the coat off because we're getting into hot topics, so... no. I didn't do that on purpose, I just was feeling hot. Um, We, uh, as a church, uh, have been uh, looking at uh, hot topics. So we put out to uh, the congregation what were some of the things that you would like us uh, to teach on uh, and to preach on and... uh, Some of these have come back. Um, Today I'm going to tackle marriage and family. Next week Andrew's going to look at politics and debate. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at discernment and life balance. And another one that came back, which we're not going to sort of tackle now, is um, reformed distinctives. So this year in October is the 500th year of the Reformation, where some of our roots come from, and we're actually going to do a bit of a uh, sermon series uh, in and around October and November. So we'll tackle that back then. Um, so let's jump into marriage and family. And marriage is what brings us together, and I would say not at the moment. Don't you agree? Everyone's disagreeing about what marriage is and how it should be defined and there's uh, a lot of uh, talk about it, a lot of debate about it, a lot of uh, vitriol <laughs> that it's been putting out there. So it is pretty hot and it's pretty uh, divisive uh, out there as we uh, engage with this uh, topic. Uh, it's been interesting as I've been sort of reading and looking that... Um, I'm a little bit tired of uh, seeing uh, Christian people trying to sort of defend their position on marriage, uh, almost being sort of humiliated, uh, sort of crucified in some ways on TV um, or in arguments, um, that there is such inflammatory language that is used around um, people who don't agree with um, same-sex marriage. There are personal attacks, uh, and it's quite nasty. On the flip side, I've seen it come back the other way. I've seen plenty of Christian people, in their um, passion and reason to get their argument across, become personal, uh, vitriolic, uh, abusive, uh, and not very nice. Um, And reading through all this stuff, there there was almost for me... Uh, in some of this, almost, um, you know, as we go through, there's lots of stuff that's going to come out today. Almost, I I use the word Christian hysteria about this. Here's a statement that came across my email list from people I know. The so-called marriage equality debate, uh, if it comes through, will open a satanic onslaught far beyond our imagination. It will dramatically affect us in a way uh, that is doing already the very uh, begetting and upbringing of successive generations. That genetic human engineering will be the order of the day. That will make the eugenics of the third right look right look amateurish. Whoa! Is that going to happen if marriage, if gay marriage gets through? It's 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 almost, and I think that's what we naturally do. We try and put, um, we put passion and we put um, sort of arguments and stuff behind. And sometimes I think uh, some of the arguments that I've been reading exposed to this, it almost seems like uh, for us as Christians that this is the last stand. That if we don't get this through, that it's all going to fall apart. I just want to remind you that this sort of stuff has been happening for hundreds of years, thousands of years, and God uh, and his church continues on, <laughs> and uh, life continues on, and the gospel continues on, uh, and God's glory continues to be revealed. So I think that's good for us to, to think about uh, as we engage in this fight and as we engage uh, in, the, in the battle. Um, So I wanted to start this morning with uh, the Bible. Uh, Let's go to the next slide. Yep, that's where we're going to... So we're talking about marriage and family. um, And for us in this place here as um, sort of Bible-believing Christians, um, uh, what determines our understanding of uh, marriage and family um, is what God tells us. And we believe that the Bible is what God tells us um, about himself, about us, uh, and how, about, how we are to live in the world and with each other. And so uh, for us here I- in the church, um, many of us uh, as Orthodox Christians would sort of know a lot of this stuff, but I think it's good for us to be reminded and get a bit of a, a broad uh, overview of sort of marriage uh, and family. Um, I think it's good for us to put uh, this debate into uh, the overall story of the Bible. Um, God's, um, we understand uh, this world as God is the creator. He made the world and everything in it. He made people um, at the peak of his creation. As, um, as uh, John read from us from Genesis, he made the man and woman. He brought them together. He sent them into the world to uh, fill the world. Um, and um he then we recognize the bible unfolds that the the fall happens sin enters the world that there is a spiritual dynamic that's happening in the world that's affecting us in the way that we live in this world, that it's broken, it's messed up, that we also have a message of salvation and redemption, that Jesus is coming to um, restore things and to bring uh, a saving hope for his people and for those who would believe in him, and that one day he's going to um, uh, restore heaven and earth and there's going to be a restoration of God and people on the earth again in perfection with no more uh, suffering, pain or... um hardship in that so i think it's good for us to to do that and that's why i i got john to read out a a sort of whole range of um um, on passages on uh on marriage and because i think uh that big story helps us understand sort of our purpose and our um our our reason for being uh on the earth so i want to start in genesis 1 Uh, So, Genesis 1, uh, this is sort of where we go, is um, it's first, and I've sort of got it here, we get the first wedding, and we get the establishment of family. Uh, As we go through, we're going to realise that marriage is not forever, it's much more than what we just see, and then we actually end up back. The Bible finishes and ends with uh, a marriage, a wedding and family being established. So, in uh, Genesis 1, uh, the first family is established that God made Him, uh, God made people in His image, and that is to be in relationship with one another. Uh, we see that God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, and they are they meant that they interact together in relationship. And so humanity is made in His image in the same way that we're actually made as relational beings, as uh, as male and female, and uh, as they come together as children. Uh, in that as well and that we as God pours himself into us we pour ourselves into each other and so the very nature of husband wife uh, child actually displays who God is and so actually when we're thinking about marriage it's much bigger than just uh, creating a family unit and uh, creating something that uh, brings children into the world. Uh, God uh, makes us yeah, a reflection uh, of, uh, of him in, relation, uh, in relational unity. There's, uh, we also read as we go through the Bible that there are families who are childless. So um, having children in that doesn't necessarily define whether you're in or out of that understanding of, fi- of family. Some families have children, others don't. Uh, that there is singleness uh, involved in that too and that God calls people to singleness and that's uh, a holy and um, a, a righteous way to go as well. And so there are sort of uh, different expressions of uh, family through the Bible. Uh, the Bible also uh, begins to become clear on what it's not. Uh, so it's it does it's clear that it's not between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. Uh, and it also um, says that it is not a place uh, for. Um, abuse or um, uh, abuse of power and authority. It's a place of honor and respect, a a place of submission, that uh, that submission to one another um, as husband and wife, as uh, children to parents, as parents to children. And these begin to give us sort of a a, a place uh, where uh, we learn how to live the way God has designed us to live. Uh, marriage uh, is also. Uh, we're going to tackle this a little bit further on. It gives us uh, the context for the biblical uh, ethic on sex and how that's uh, to be used as well, and that um, uh, that it lays down that when this marriage ethic and sex ethic and that is broken, that it affects uh, people, affects society, affects. Uh, the people involved in that, and it actually puts some punishments around these sorts of things as well. Uh, family, then, um, we, you, you may have heard this regularly used, that it becomes the foundation of society. It's the context where um, cultures are passed on. It's the co- the context where values are passed on. Um, it becomes sort of the, the stable uh, place of um of society building on um, sort of education and equipping and empowering its culture. And we've seen that. That that works in Christian context, but it works in a humanity context because we believe that God made people in his image. We understand that everyone is affected by this. But what I do say on this, just be careful how you define family because in in the Bible, family is very rarely... Defined as mother, father and child. Very rarely defined that way. It's much broader. It often includes aunts, uncles, uh, grandparents. And if you look at the way Old Testament and New Testament, the way that family is described, it talks about households, it talks about tribes, it talks about nations, it talks about villages, that sort of concept. So just be, be careful that we're not fighting necessarily for husband, woman, child. That That's there, but it's much broader than that. It's actually how we live in community with one another. And the church is described as the family. That's where we go, go into the New Testament. That's the last picture we have. So just be careful about um, sort of that. As we go through, you'll see some of this. Um, and also, uh, the, the Bible is really big that, That the family becomes the place where the stranger and alien belong. That it's not just direct relation, uh, not um, biological connections, but it's actually to be to be people to be invited in the stranger, the alien. It's the place where they, uh, where people get to understand who God is and how we're to relate to each other. So just have that uh, that broader picture as well. In Mark twelve, we're going to go into there. just realise that there will be no marriage in heaven, so it's actually only a temporary institution that's for us here on this earth, because Jesus, when he's uh, in discussion with the Pharisees and they're asking about his wife, he says, just realise that in heaven there won't be marriage. You're not going to be husband and wife um, and children in heaven. And what so where does, where does that take us? Yeah, you will recognise each other. This is bizarre. I don't know how it's all going to work, but somehow we recognise each other. But uh, the picture we get in the end is that um, we're all going to be married to God. We're all going to, it's God is the, br- the, the groom and the church is the bride. And that somehow in that place, just like the angels, that's what Jesus says, the angels already sort of know this, is that we're married to God and we only have eyes God or for Jesus, and so um, just realize that we're not fighting for an eternal institution <laughs> as well. It's a much bigger picture of, uh, and why is God doing this? Because He it reveals something of Himself. It reveals His love for us as a church, His love uh, for the people as well. Uh, realize that um, that marriage is broken now. Uh, Jesus is interacting with them. Um, he. He's talking about uh, divorce and that that's allowed to happen and that, um, that divorce happens uh, through marital unfaithfulness and that he alludes to the fact that family and, uh, is very messy now um, and that even things like remarriage becomes a contentious issue. Some of the words that Jesus has about remarriage And so here, if you want another hot topic, (laughs) that's another one to read. And and how do we understand divorce and remarriage? Um, And so I I wanted to go into it, but I won't. Um, It's another whole thing. Recognize that in Mark chapter 10, just before this, Jesus' understanding of marriage is what he has in the Old Testament. So he refers marriage back to man, woman, what God created uh, in the universe, what God has brought together, let no man separate. And so Jesus, and as we go into the New Testament, between the Old and New Testament, um, that marriage union becomes um, uh, the way God expresses himself for us. Ephesians chapter 5, and this is sort of where it leads a little bit, that we recognise that marriage and family is so much more than you being married to a man or woman and, and having children. That. What marriage is, and this is where Paul says in Ephesians 5 he says, I'm not just talking about marriage when I'm talking about that, but I'm talking about Christ and his church. So, your family have been designed by God to display him to the self, to the world. So, the way that you relate to your husband or wife, the way you relate to your children, um, is designed by God to reflect him. And so, we actually need to. Fight for our marriage and fight for our... So that that can happen. And so we need to be just as vigilant and just as uh, passionate about making sure we have good marriages. That marriages of love, of grace, mercy and forgiveness because they're designed to display him to the world. And that the Bible speaks... Uh, so often about the idea of God being married to his people and that in that place that we are called to love one another like Christ loved the church. And if you've ever done marriage, pre-marriage stuff with me, I'm really big on this because you know what that means. That means that to your husband and to your wife, you need to continually die to yourself because that's what Jesus did for you. And Jesus did it for you when you didn't deserve it. And so we're to reflect that, that unconditional love in our, in our marriage. Parents to children, children to parents, husband to wife. And that our spouses and our kids need to experience God in that place. That our aunties, our uncles, our cousins, uh, our grandparents, those that you're inviting into your family need to experience God because God's designed the family to be a place where he is displayed and revealed and so the way we uh, live in that is really important um, and then Revelation 19 where the Bible finishes it finishes up again uh, with a wedding that uh, heaven has described as a wedding banquet of the lamb uh, Jesus being the lamb in heaven as I've sort of talked about already uh, this ultimate fulfillment is God and his people living together in perfection forever. And that's a celebratory hope that uh, the Bible puts forward uh, for us. And again, that uh, even what we experience in family now becomes a bit of a foretaste for that. It's just a bit of a taste of what, if you could imagine your sort of family and your um, relationship working perfectly, that's a foretaste of what it's going to be like when we're in heaven and we, as God's people, uh, are married to him and we're uh, in unity with him um, as we um, live with him forever. So... Just wanted to give you that big picture as we think uh, about uh, marriage uh, because I think we need to be reminded of what what we're actually fighting for. Um, What are we actually protecting and proclaiming? It's not a law. It's actually something much grander, much more beautiful, much wonderful uh, than that. So what we read in the Bible, uh, here we go, what we read in the Bible... uh, Makes sense in the world. That's sort of a bit of a phrase I've stolen. I, I can't remember where. Um, but for me, that what we read in the Bible makes sense of the world. And I often say that if we could, if we could live out the Bible um, and its its believe, uh, what we're to believe about it, its values, its teachings, the world would be actually be a really good place. Um, except, well, I've got well sort of because if you read through the Bible. <laughs> Uh, This is where we've got to understand the big story. The way God created things originally, that would would work. But sin has entered the world and Satan is involved in the world and there is a spiritual attack uh, evolved in this and we've got our flesh involved with this, our uh, physical reality. Because what we find right through the Bible, what we find in our own experiences, is that there are many godly good families that produce really bad kids or break up or get messy. And there are some really what we would call bad families that produce really godly Christ-following kids and they actually can operate really well. And you only have to look at the Christian stats on marriage to realise it doesn't always work as that great in the church either. Because if you look at all the stats, they're not much different. Divorce rates in the church are not much different than out the church. And so we need to recognize that we live in a broken world. And the world is a mess. And that in that mess, God is still at work. And in that mess, God calls us to interact lovingly and um, compassionately and empathetically. <laughs> and it's a bit like John was saying when he, in the prayer, to realize that in this brokenness, God's heart is for those in the midst of that brokenness. Even though that brokenness might hurt us and not, we might not agree with it and that pain of it, but God calls us to have compassion and empathy and love in those situations and that just because we have marriage laws or definitions of marriage laws and family and stuff like that in place that that's not going to make this happen or not yep there's some good stuff about it that will help us as a society and stuff like that but just don't bank everything on it because often when God's people did have things in place, it all went really bad. And other times when it was really going bad, God worked his good through it. And that just because we have laws in places... I, I was thinking about it. Do you realise... Uh, so I can't even remember how many hundreds of years ago that slavery laws were abolished. It was a good thing, wasn't it? It was a great thing. Many Christian people fought for it. Do you realise that we have more slaves in the world today than we ever have in any time in history? The laws didn't do anything. The church is called to probably (laughs) make a difference in that as well. So just a reminder that the laws are not going to save us and that uh, even though we can fight for them, there's good in that and there's, there's stuff around it, that's not what we're actually fighting. We're fighting for this much bigger picture of God and the way he interacts Uh, with us and the way he's made us and designed us. Uh, Yes, biblical families are a mess. (laughs) I just went through some of the biblical families. In biblical families, David's family, the highlight, faithful families, there are incest, prostitution, murder, adultery, polygamy, (laughs) polygamy, Uh, lying, cheating, deceiving—all this stuff—is the mess of family, and yet God is very much at work in that mess. And so, don't forget that as we go, um, as, we rec- as we wrestle and, and fight with um, what family and marriage is, uh, God's gospel and the nice—I uh, think. Joel had a great lead-in with these call to worship and and some of the songs, that in that mess, mess, um, that God's unmerited grace, his pursuit of broken people, his forgiveness and unconditional love uh, is at work. Just to recognize people that there will be homosexuals in heaven. (coughs) Just as there will be adulterers and people who are greedy and liars. Because it's not whether you're gay that results in you going to hell just as it's not. For me. It's whether you know Jesus or not because for me I've committed adultery I don't know how many times I do it every week because remember Jesus definition of adultery is just to look at someone lustfully or have lustful thoughts well, you guys are probably murderers as well. <laughs> murderers don't go to hell because they're murderers. They go because they don't know Jesus. And you guys are all murderers because remember what Jesus said? If you just think hatefully about someone, it's like you've murdered them. And so when we, <laughs> we interact with this, I think we have got to have some of that, that, that bigger picture uh, in our midst as well. Remember, this is a big thing for me, I think that the church overemphasizes sexual sin. Remember why Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed? We often forget this. If you read Ezekiel 29, it tells us why Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Do you know why they were destroyed? It wasn't because they wanted to sleep with angels. It was because they were greedy and uncaring. That's why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. Have a read, Ezekiel 29, and I didn't write down the verse. You can have a look. And I think sometimes we overemphasize, and you you hear those things around, remember the Bible talks far more about greed and holds Israel and the church account to greed far more than it does sexual sin. We need to hear that, particularly for us who are some of the richest people in the world. Uh, Marriages, uh, families, uh, yes, we talked about that uh, to be built on gospel love, unconditional love, giving and receiving uh, of forgiveness in that place as well. Um, And this is where the gospel works itself out, um, not only in the way that we interact with people who think differently, but particularly also in the way uh, the family unit works. Uh, Parents, love your kids the way God loves you. Kids, honour your parents the way you honour and love God. And so we can still uh, vote no, we can still uh, put our big biblical purpose f- uh, uh, and explain our biblical purpose and understanding, uh, but let's do that with compassion, with love, and understanding who we are uh, before God as well. Okay, next slide. Where are we up to? Uh, marriage and family because the God, uh, Bible says, this is the big other uh, big one. Um, that I'm coming across, is that so many Christians disagree about this. And I'm getting, there's all sorts of different Christian views on marriage and family. And so I, I get that question a lot. Why is it the Christians disagree on this? Why is it, how does that come about? And I think what we're seeing is, um, so we, we so Orthodox Christianity would say, um, God's Bible is his will for us, it reveals his truth. But there are many Christians around there that, well, th- they'll read the Bible and they'll use that line of, but this is what I think it means. And we start to get people's self interpretation of the Bible. Um, and uh, what I've been reading, a number of things, is, is that our experiences here on earth then start to shape the way we, we read the Bible. So um, I know really, um, really nice um, gay people who are also Christian. Um, and um, and I think they're really good. I've met many same-sex couples that actually have wonderful families. Um, so don't doubt that they can. <laughs> um, and just like what we said before, heterosexual couples can be really bad and messy. Um, uh, same-sex couples can actually be generally work okay. I'm not saying so, yeah. I, I still stand up for God's reason for. But just realize that often, often the Bible. Leads us into the grey, not the black and white. And sometimes with these things, we want to make it black and white because it's actually much more comfortable for us to deal in black and white. Um, so, Christians, uh, th- th- and this is what I've seen, my experience interprets then how I read the Bible. I think the Bible warns that's very dangerous because then you start to get um, it's. We work collectively in understanding interpretation, but use th- this line. I think is a great re- reformed line of scripture: interpret scripture. So let's look at the broadness of scripture and, and interact with that together. Be mindful of um, how we talk about um, interpreting the Bible. And I read one this week is um, a person saying that they're a Bible believing Christian, follower of Jesus, all the r- saying all the right things, but then said, I don't think the Bible covers everything. And so it doesn't cover, um, you know, it it was written 2,000 years ago, so it doesn't cover this sort of stuff. And I I just, I think that's probably a reflection of the two above it. It's actually your interpretation of that, because I think it actually does uh, deal with it. And as I said down the bottom, just realise the Bible's not always black and white on these things. And just, and, and I'll throw back at you again, Sometimes we, w- we, we just we want to draw lines and just define what's in and out and stuff like that. Uh, 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 um, and I, I think probably, um, I just want to be clear on this, uh, God's design for man, woman, child uh, is what he wants uh, our, our uh, family unit to be based on. But it's probably more the stuff in that we interact with people who don't agree with that. That that's the, the stuff that we need to watch on. And to recognise that we are just as broken and messed up and in need of God's grace and forgiveness as those that we're arguing against, even though we vehemently disagree with them. Um, so just watch that we're humble and um, sincere in the way we understand ourselves as well. Um, I had, I had remember having a conversation um, with a friend that's gay um, and Christian and how to interact with that. Um, and they were saying that they probably didn't agree that um, them being in a gay relationship was right or true, but they believed that Jesus would cover that sin and that... Um, happy to work in and around and I, I, it it did my head in um, and, and I, th- I thought what's my role in dealing with this person is it to convince them that they can't be a Christian and then I thought to myself no because I intentionally sin each day but do I flee from so yeah other times I flee from sin and other times I see them fleeing from sin and I I think in that place I continue to love that person and I continue to explain my understanding of truth, but it's actually not up to me to convince them. And so I just think that some of that stuff around interacting with other Christians, uh, it's good to understand where people might be coming from in that and to have grace and love um, as we stand firm in what we believe and what the Bible says about this stuff. Next slide. We get into the end. Uh, marriage and family. The Bible tells us. Uh, the Bible has some really good. And this is where I'm going back to the start almost. Has some really good stuff to say about um, sex ethic, about family definition, uh, and gender fluidity. Oh, these are the topics. So um, the the Bible's got some really good stuff. Like I said, if we could live out what the Bible says about uh, sex, actually the world would be a really good place. And actually if we can actually start to live that and to actually um, be ready to be to explain how that works, uh, our understanding of family when we see that working not just in its like I said in that broader context, we can actually see some really good stuff that happens through that and there's all sorts of arguments around that the gender fluidity stuff um, this is sort of about identity that God made us male and female and um, and how we interact with that, that that identity stuff, there's some really helpful things as we um, understand how to live in that way and to engage with people that think differently. Um, Often what you find is, even though there are times, sort of physical, emotional, psychological reasons why um, people think differently, um, some people grab hold of those minor or sort of things and make them major, and that's probably because of the culture that we live in at the moment. Um, and I, Freedom of Speech, Andrew's going to deal with that next week. Let's go to the last slide, because this is where it comes in. Um, Marriage, family, because the Bible says, we live in, uh, just to remind you, we don't live in a Christian country anymore, we don't live in a religious nation anymore, even though the Bureau of Statistics say that 60% of people claim to be Christian. Uh, Was it 51%? Sorry, I forgot to update my... uh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm, d- I'm a bit dated. Um, but to, r- to recognise that there's only, um, I, th- I think it's about 5 or 10%, someone might know this, of people that actually profess to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So we only have a, probably about 5% of people that have a, a, re- a Christian faith expressed on a relationship with Jesus. Um, so we live now in a secular, humanistic, pagan country. And so us getting up and saying, this is what the Bible says, this is what God says, is not going to cut it. It doesn't stop us doing it, but just realise that's our reality. We don't live in a Christian country anymore. That we actually uh, live probably more now as exiles, and that um, if you read about some of the ways that that the Israelites started to live in exiles, and Andrew's going to touch on this next week, that we now become actually uh, lights that live in the darkness that's probably where our influence is going to c- come moving forward. Um, uh, and, and I still think, you know, I still say um, uh, as the church, you know, that we need to be involved in the things that are happening into our society. So vote no, um, talk about uh, why you, you, you understand marriage and family are a really vital thing, um, but recognise that it might not ever come in. That's not going to be not necessarily a devastating thing for our country because you're living in a pagan country where 95% of the people or 90% of the people sort of think very differently than from a biblical worldview. And so we need to learn, I think this is for me where the hot topics thing for me is, what does it mean for me to engage in that sort of context? And probably what you see around the world when that sort of starts to happen, is that the church engages missionally. And what happens when missionaries sort of engage in this sort of stuff? It's generally relationally. And i found that when people actually, when you start to talk to your neighbours or talk to your friends or to have uh, conversations with your work colleagues, and you can do that face-to-face, often you get much further along and you have good conversation in that place than on Facebook or social media or stuff like that. So I think we're sent into this world to be lights, to proclaim this truth and to live for it and to have our say, but guys, just recognise the context that we now live and minister in. And the way that we do this is going to reflect the way God has designed us. Um, So... I think that's where I, yes, I'm coming to the end. Yeah. I want to leave it there. Um, I recognize this doesn't cover it all. <laughs> and as Joel said, you can't sort of cover it all. And I know that sort of it's been a bit scattered, it's been so hard for me to work this. Through. It's a bit scattered in here, there and everywhere. But I wanted to just to give you that broad uh, I know there are a number of life groups that are tackling some of this, so if you want copies of um, my notes, I'm happy to give them to you. Uh, there's, I want to bring your attention to the One Hope uh, discussion page. There's some really good discussion stuff going on there um, and people putting stuff in there as well. So if you're not part of the discussion page, you can sign up for that and engage in that uh, as well. Do it lovingly and kind, but there's good sharing of resources and, um, and stuff as well in that as well. Um, I think that it was appropriate that today um, God orchestrated us to celebrate Lord's Supper together. Oh, Glenn, sorry. I just looked at the time. Um, I think God wants to remind us, and what I was thinking about, is um, to celebrate this as a foretaste to the marriage supper of the Lamb that we come to this as broken, messed up people, seeking to live out God's design for us, but realising that we've messed it up uh, as we seek to step into the next part of our lives, trying to live out the way he's designed us, the way he's um, empowered us to do. And so we remember at the wedding supper of the Lamb there was Christ's body that was broken for us We remember that his blood was poured out for us so that we can sit at this table with our groom. And so he says, now come and participate in this as a symbol of faith, of trusting in the work of Jesus, of understanding your relationship with him. And um, doing that in context of what we've been talking about today, that this reality would affect the reality of my relationships and the way I interact with my family and the world around me. So let me pray and then we'll participate. Lord, we thank you that you have made this supper available to us. We thank you that you call us to um, be in a relationship with you like a husband and a wife, that you call us... Uh, to this table to celebrate your love for us. And Lord, we recognize that even though we have been, um, that we've lived a broken life, a life that has uh, drifted away from what you would want for us, um, we recognize that while we were still sinners, you died for us, that your love and delight is for us. So as we participate in this supper now, we pray for your spirit to reveal uh, your truth to us in this. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, The other thing it does too, last time we had the supper in the middle, Uh, if I can ask leadership, I forgot to ask if some of the leaders want to come out and just grab the... uh, Last time we had the table in the middle and we celebrated as a family meal, um, because that's sort of what this is reflective of, is that we become a family as well and those sort of images sort of overlap themselves uh, in the Bible Um, and so we did that Bible thing. So This time we're going to do it like buffet style. So You've got to come up and get the stuff, sit back down, um, but we do it as a family, uh, as as God's children together uh, under uh, Christ and what he's done for us. So grab some bread, grab some juice, uh, and go back, sit in your your chair, and then we'll celebrate. As we pick up a little glass of juice... We remember and we believe the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for us for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. And so with this taste of bread and wine or juice in our mouths, we think of the foretaste of the wedding supper of the Lamb and that one day we will live as a family with God in the new heaven and the new earth, in perfection with him forever. In the meantime, we send you out as a family of servants on Christ's mission to display God's glory to the world. We send you out in this reality to be shining lights in the darkness, to be worshipping your Saviour King, proclaiming him and his kingdom as you stand up for his truth and as you love those that God puts in your path. You go out empowered by his Spirit Where you think you're weak, he will be strong. Where you think you don't have the words, he'll give them to you. Where you suffer humiliation or degradation for him, he will be there to comfort and strengthen you. Where you don't think you can speak in love, he'll give you words of love. Where you don't think you can be gentle, ask him for gentleness. The fruit of his spirit is gentleness, kindness, peace, love. Ask for those words. Fruits to be born as we engage uh, with this debate moving forward. And as we seek, it's not just this debate, as we seek to display what it is to be family uh, in this world, to display God to the world. I think it will be good to go out in the last song. Let's sing. So this song is Saviour King, Stand. Because as we go out, this is what we proclaim. We proclaim uh, who God is and who we are because of him. And this song picks up on some of those themes that I've just said. The weak having strength in him. It talks about us as the bride shining forth with his love. So let's do that as we sing and do that as we uh, live this week after the service, after this song, if you want prayer for anything, uh, we'll have our prayers sit on that side or that side and we'd love to pray with you. But let's go out uh, singing this truth in worship to our Saviour King.